Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We're going to have a great discussion about emails because as fundraisers, one of the best tools at our disposal and often the most inexpensive is the email and the e-newsletter. You sign up with one of those email platforms and then you write up a few things that are taking place at your organization, show a few pictures, and of course, you know, put the give button in there somewhere. And it seems easy enough, but have you checked the analytics behind your emails? What's your click-through rate? Better yet, what is your open rate? Why all these bounces? Why are you getting the bounces all the time? And for that matter, what is a bounce? And if you're not doing this right, you might actually be causing more harm than good. So to help sort through all of this, all of the terms that we think we know and the things we think we know and know we don't know, and to offer some advice on getting more people to open those emails, We have a total expert in the house today. Erica Salm-Wrench is with Raza.io, a computer software that is rewriting the book on emails and e-newsletters. Erica has been in the digital marketplace for many years and joins us from her home office just outside of one of my favorite cities on the planet, New Orleans. (laughs) Erica, we are excited to have you as our guest today on Impactability. I am thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to have you. And I'm glad we're having this discussion today, Erica, because I have done hundreds of e-newsletters in my day. And I know all the things that we think we're doing right but aren't, or at least not doing them well enough. So let's start with the good. Why are e-newsletters such a wonderful tool for fundraisers? To start, not only are newsletters a great tool for fundraisers, but they're just a great tool for any brand that wants to stay in regular touch and provide value to their subscribers. So that's like basically anyone, right? But for fundraisers in particular, and people looking to raise awareness of their organization, it's a regular way to not only keep people abreast of what you're doing in your organization, but also of the greater global impact of what you're doing and of your cause overall. So even if you're not in the middle, of a big fundraising push, let's say, it's very important to keep people aware of what's going on in your space and of your cause so that when it does come time to ask people to buy or to put forward some dollars, you've already provided tons of valuable information in the interim. And that's why email newsletters are so incredibly valuable, even though they're not you know, the most fun thing to do, they are incredibly valuable to do on a regular basis. That is for sure. So let's talk about that. And and I've got so many questions. I'm going to jump right into it. So when it comes to my e-newsletter, for instance, what am I doing that I should not be doing? And what am I not doing that I should be doing? So I'm going to start with something that you actually hit on in your intro, which is why am I seeing so many bounces? And what sort of data do I have? What does all of this mean? And so number one, I'm going to start with list hygiene. And a lot of you might be thinking, what is list hygiene? And it's essentially keeping your email list clean. And you might not be thinking about it, but think about how many times people switch jobs, especially during this time period of this great resignation, right? So you might have so many people's business email addresses, but those email addresses 
only lasts for as long as that person's with their given company. So that's just one way in which you might get a bounce back, right? Because people switch organizations. Right. Oftentimes they're not switching their personal email as frequently, but you probably have a lot of organizational emails. So that's one thing. There's another thing that companies do to protect their employees from phishing scams and from not so great emails. And they put up these email security gateways and these are becoming more and more common. And so what those email security gateways do, it's a program designed to grab emails as they come in. So if your email for whatever reason programmatically hits on something in their algorithm they don't like, it might bounce or they might send it to trash or they might, in some cases, they're going to click every single link in the email and your click rate is going to skyrocket. So there are a lot of reasons to, you can run your list through an email hygiene tool. There are a lot of great ones out there. You just Google email list cleaning and you can run it through a tool and get rid of some of those bad email addresses. And that's one thing that you can do that you're probably not doing. Yeah, great point. So now let's talk about content for a minute. What should I definitely be having in my newsletter? Are there things that people like to read about when it comes to my organization versus other things that they probably don't care about? You definitely want to include the latest content that you've written because content production takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources. So if you put together a great piece of content, certainly share that in your newsletter. That's a given. But when you're not creating content or not creating your own content, I definitely recommend for people who have, you know, important causes that are impacting this world on a regular basis, share the external content that helps reiterate the importance of your cause to your, to your subscribers. You know, one of the main rules of thumb that we always hear about when it comes down to doing newsletters, e-newsletters, and, and even emails for that matter is the subject line. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. The subject line is a hugely impactful factor into whether someone opens their email or not. Believe it or not, it's one of four or five factors that influences whether or not someone's going to open their email. There, there are ways that you can personalize subject lines. There are ways that you can A-B test your subject lines and send out to 50% of your audience, send out three versions of a subject line. And then to that next 50% of your audience, a few hours later, send the most effective version of the subject line. So a, mail, a MailChimp would let you do that automatically without having to put too much thought into it. So there are a lot of ways you can use automation and AI to optimize your subject line. So in other words, do not put May 2022 newsletter in the subject line, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you could definitely be more compelling than that. <laughs> are there different rules for different styles of e-newsletters? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I'd say maybe not even in terms of different e-newsletters, but there are definitely different styles you might want to consider depending on the type of email you're sending. So for newsletters, a headline might be a great subject line. But for if you're sending out an invitation to a webinar, for example, you might want to convey some sense of urgency, like register by such and such a date or only 10 spots remaining. For your nurture campaigns where you're kind of trickling out relevant information on your cause based on when someone signed up on your website, you might want to design catch-all catchy subject lines for each one where, you know, they're not going to change based on the latest news in the space, but they'll change 
based on you know when someone came into a sequence. And so in that way, you'll want to make them catchy for everyone. What is the fine line between I'm sending the right amount of emails and they cannot wait to unsubscribe because I'm sending too many? Oh, that is such, that's the, the age old question, right? What's too much? What's too little? I, when we talk to our clients and we're onboarding our clients, we ask them how frequently they publish their own internal content and use that as sort of a rule of thumb or a good place to guide people. I'd say oftentimes you want to send at least once a week, something once a week to, to share the latest either news at your organization or the latest news in the space. Like if you are an organization and you're, an, you're advocating for an environmental cause, even if you're not producing once a week, there's probably some related news in the space that your readers would want to read about at least once a week. But if you're producing multiple pieces of content every single day, maybe you send more than once a week because you have that content at your disposal to send out. So let's talk about fundraising emails because a lot of our listeners, of course, in nonprofits, they're doing fundraisers all the time. And email is, as I said at the beginning of our program, is, is such an inexpensive way of doing things. Would you say the same rules apply for fundraising emails as like the e-newsletters we've been talking about? I think it's a little bit different. I agree with you. You said something in your intro about making sure to have that call to action to donate in every email. I completely agree with that. There's no reason you shouldn't have a primary CTA in every newsletter you send. If you, in terms of when you're explicitly sending an email all about fundraising, I don't think that needs to be once a week but maybe the, the newsletters once a week so that you're providing value on the cause and information on the cause regularly. And then that way, when you are asking people to donate, you're already top of mind and they're already aware of why it is so important to donate to your cause. That is great advice. I like that. But Erica, Erica, they're not opening my emails, okay? Sure. <laughs> We're speaking with Erica Salmrench about email marketing, e-newsletters, and trying to sort through the confusion to help improve your emailing efforts. Now, hopefully you're taking notes because we're sharing a lot of great info with you today. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about how you can get people to open your emails more often, why people aren't opening your emails, and can anyone figure out the mysterious Google algorithm, okay? We could be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. Sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to get the work at your nonprofit done. Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. We handle all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of nonprofit professionals working for you. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, another question in our Coach's Corner. We got a really good question this week, so stay tuned for that. Right now, we're speaking with our guest, Erica Salmrench, about email marketing and how to improve yours. Okay, so now, Erica, let me put you on the spot for a minute. Give me five factors why people are not opening my emails. 
Sure thing. So everyone, when you think of opening an email, what's the first factor that jumps into your mind that we already discussed? It's subject line, right? So that's number one. But there might be one that's even more influential that I think people disregard oftentimes, which is called the friendly from or from name. So not the email address that you're sending from, that can also be impactful, but how you title your email address. So it's if you're an organization, it's usually going to be your organization's name. But think about how you read a book or how you read anything, right? You're scanning left to right. And if you're using the same stale friendly from every single time you send an email, people might choose to delete your email even before they get to the subject line. Think about how you read left to right. So if you know that um, a certain organization is sending email after email after email after email, they're going to see that friendly from, they're going to delete it without even thinking about it. So if you change it up a little bit, maybe send, you know, Erica from rasa.io or the latest from rasa.io so that it kind of, it, it changes it up a bit. It gets people to think before they autopilot, delete your email. So that's, that's factor number two. Factor number three, I hit on just a minute ago, which is the from email address. Now that you want to be very careful with changing that. A lot of folks also don't completely optimize the potential of your from email address. So that's just the, the main factor in that is going to be like your actual send from domain, right? So your website's domain. And whether or not your emails land in inboxes is going to be largely influenced by your website's domain and its reputation. And its reputation is how long that domain's been around, what kind of email reputation it's had in the past. Do people mark you as spam? So you want to make sure you're sending from your own domain, presumably that it's you know, a reputable domain. And then something that you also want to make sure you're doing is authenticating your email send from tool to officially send on behalf of your domain. So, so many times people just type in the, the from email that they're sending from, but if you're sending from rasa.io or MailChimp or Constant Contact, you might not be telling those email service providers that they're authenticated to send on your behalf. So you'll just want to look at the instructions in those various providers, how to make sure that your domain is authenticated through those providers. Um, so the send from time is obviously hugely influential. You can A-B test that in a similar way. You could A-B test a subject line. And then um, number five is going to be that preview text. So those couple sentences that people see in their inbox before they actually open. Yeah, that is great advice. What are some email marketing mistakes that might actually be hurting my nonprofit? Sure. So yes, typing in your from domain without actually authenticating it. So that could really be hurting you. Sometimes if you have way too many images in your email, some images are great. We want our emails to be aesthetically pleasing, right? But if you have too many images that can flag Google or the various inbox provider algorithms is like maybe spammy. You definitely, you know, you want to make sure that you have not too much content because if things get too, too long, you're the inbox, Google, Gmail, especially is going to cut off your email and your recipient won't be able to view the entire email without clicking a separate link. And let's face it, how many people are going to get to the bottom of a really, really long email anyway? So keep the most nutritious, most relevant information in there and, and scrap the rest. I just had that exact conversation with someone about a week or two ago, and I said the exact same thing. If if you're putting 
three paragraphs on one story and then the next story and the next story, they're not going to get to the bottom of that newsletter. Which is why, like, if you are sending out your newsletter and let's say you're sending five or five to seven stories, great. Just put in a couple teaser sentences. Just grab from the metadata of the page so that you can get the data on what people are clicking on. You want to know what people are interested in. And does it make sense then to kind of recycle the reader? If they're really interested, put the whole article on your website and then just link them over there. That is exactly it. You want people to go to your site. You want people to, and even if you're sending external content that's relevant, you want to see that people are clicking on that. You want to know what they're interested in. You want to see what calls to action are successful. Yeah. And one more that I think you forgot, Erica. So I'm going to call you on this one. Can we please make sure everything is spelled correctly? Oh my goodness. Yes. That is, that almost goes without saying that you would be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I always tell people, have several people on staff look at it before you click send, before you schedule the send. That way, someone is going to catch something misspelled along the way. Absolutely. And when I worked my first job out of college, when I worked for Tulane's admission office, one of the first email campaigns I sent out had one of our building names spelled incorrectly. And the provost Mm -hmm. found it. And I was absolutely mortified. Don't let that happen to you. Yeah, let alone the family that donated the money to put the name on the building. Yep. Mm -mm. I hope they never saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's spend a moment to ask you to demystify, if you can, the Google algorithm. Help us with this. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I don't know that I can provide much more value than I would say a couple searches. I I would encourage everyone to do a search right now. What impacts? email deliverability or Google's inbox algorithm, because there's some factors that I've already touched on, right? Like length of your email, how many links are in there? Do the links look legitimate? Are there too many tracking codes in there? Google doesn't like that. If you, if your emails are automated, that's automatically going to be like a little bit trickier to get into an inbox, but Let's face it, so many marketing campaigns, you have to have automation in your marketing campaigns or you're not going to be effective. So you're always weighing the pros and cons of that one. But but what's tricky about Google's inbox algorithm is it's similar to Google's search algorithm. It's always changing. They don't give you notice and they want to be a little bit mysterious. Those doggone Google people. Those doggone Googlers. (laughs) So the one thing we haven't talked about yet is the email list itself, okay? How often should we be looking at that list of ours and keeping it reconciled? Yeah, I'd say do a list cleanup every couple months. Run it through, I think there are tons of free tools out there, if you're, especially if your list is on the smaller side, where you can run it through and the tools will say, okay, this looks you know, 99% probably legitimate, an email could land in there. This email is suspect this email is not validated. And then you can easily just wipe the validated ones out of your out of your list. And that's gonna help your overall send reputation. If you are having more successful sends to actual people and not dead email addresses, that's gonna help your overall deliverability. That's gonna help, Google's gonna like that. Outlook's gonna like that. Yahoo's gonna like that. Does anyone use Hotmail? They'll probably like that too. <laughs> Erica, I still use Hotmail. 
Oh no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I've had the same email address, personal email address for like over 20 years and it was Hotmail. Because you don't want... You don't want people to all of a sudden not know how to reach you, right? Exactly. Where, how else would I get my junk mail, right? Right, right. So, Erica, my list is clean. It's updated. Everything is good. How do I grow my list? That is a great question. So, when you do your social sharing, so when you're sharing on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, where have you, you always want to have, if you're not sending out external content, when you send people to your website or you're sharing out an internal piece of content you just created, you want to make sure that your subscribe link is front and center. So not just in a teeny tiny place, maybe at the bottom of your contact us page, you want to make sure that people can sign up for your newsletter or your email list very easily. So have that as a pop-up on your site. If, there, if people are on your site for more than a minute, have a pop-up that says, hey, do you, are you enjoying our content? sign up for the latest from our organization. So that's one way, just make sure there's an easy pop-up, you know, or or that something's very front and center on your homepage to sign up for your list. Um, This is gonna sound counterintuitive to some folks, but you're gonna want a subscribe link within your email. And you might be saying to yourself, well, if, if they're already getting my emails, why on earth would I have a subscribe link in my emails? But the reason you want that is because if you're sending out interesting, compelling content, people are likely to forward it to their friends. And then from that forward, you want people to be able to easily subscribe to your list. You want it to be a button that is a very clear call to action. Maybe not as big and clear as your donate button, but but you want people to be able to subscribe. I got to tell you, time has just flown by. This has been such a great conversation. I, we, we could go for hours because you're right. There's so many little intricacies. I'm hoping that not only have our listeners gained some insight, but have been taking notes because you've really offered us some great stuff to think about today. Thank you for being our guest today on Impactability. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Time once again for another edition of Coach's Corner. I love this segment of our program because this is when you take over. You send us the questions that you have, and we ask our impact coaches your questions, and they give you their answers. Very simple. And it could be absolutely anything that you're wondering at your nonprofit. Could be something very small and minor that you just want another opinion on. Could be a major deal. And this question is probably going to fall into the second part of that. Our impact coach today is Deborah Haley. Deborah, thank you for joining us. Here is the question. Listen carefully. What is the value of working with a consultant rather than having my own employee? Good question. A lot of layers in there. Deborah, on Coach's Corner, you only have five minutes to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now. All right. So a consultant brings a depth of knowledge on a variety of aspects, and they bring their expertise from having a great network within the nonprofit community and expertise that they have developed as they worked with nonprofits. So they bring best practices and a wide range of resources for that. So if you add in then, they've got specific training and certifications for um, nonprofit consulting. They just really offer 
a wide range of ways in which they can help a, a nonprofit to grow both their impact and their resources. On the other hand, your employee, you may have to do a lot of this training. And sure, they're going to come with experience, but you're not looking for someone that has worked for with 20 nonprofits. Um, you would probably get a little scared about that. Whereas you're looking for a consultant that's going to come to work with you who may have 50 or more nonprofits that they've, they've worked with. Your employee is more likely to change jobs, uh, not to be available, whereas a consultant is contracted with you. It can be over the long term. They have just a wide variety of resources as well in terms of staffing that they can call upon. I think the other thing that I really like about a consultant versus an employee is that your consultant has a perspective of the outside looking in and your employee is enmeshed in everything that the nonprofit is doing on a day-to-day basis and so may not have as good of a perspective. And the consultant, you may come up with an issue every now and then, a challenge, a particular need, and they're available as needed. Whereas your employee, um, full or part-time, you're committing to have a workload for them on a day-to-day basis. The other thing about a consultant is they can be frank. They can you know, look at things and point out weaknesses and where the nonprofit may be going wrong, may have issues. The employee is not going to have the resources, the perspective, and perhaps a willingness to speak freely to the nonprofit leadership that you're going to find is there with a consultant. Your employee is more involved in the day-to-day operations. An employee may not feel that same level of comfort going to the nonprofit leadership and saying, hey, you know, there's some real problems here. So I would say all in all, that's really my take on the consultant versus an employee. Sounds good, Deborah. Great way to answer that question. Very fantastic question as well. And we thank you for being on Coach's Corner today. Oh, you're so welcome. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.